Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Jeff and I are so incredibly excited today to be sitting down with Dr. Kamiko Ninomiya, otherwise affectionately known as the Umami Mama. She is a biochemist and researcher who specifically works around Umami, especially in, in her advocacy for the rich understanding of Umami in food. Kamiko, it is an absolute honor to have you here on As I Am today. How are you? Hi. Very nice to meet you, and I'm happy to be here to talk with you. <laughs> Likewise. We are so, so incredibly excited. Um, Jeff and I have always been so passionate about food, and Asian food in particular, and I think umami is such an interesting topic for us, and we're so excited to explore with someone as you know specialised as you. So first things off, we'd love to hear about your career journey. How did you get started and interested in researching all things Imami? Hmm. Uh, so first of all, I joined Ajinomoto Company in 1982, and I started working in a department that coordinates study on MSG and Umami. And hmm. in 1982, the company established uh, the Society for Research and Umami Taste with the aim of promoting umami researches and building a network of researchers. And I worked as a secretariat of the society since 1985. This mm -hmm. is the first encounter of umami. But wow. at that time, I didn't know about umami and I didn't understand the taste quality of umami either. But uh, I have to coordinate research activities and also organize a symposium or a seminar every year. So I visited many researchers to know about ongoing research in umami in different mm. research fields, including food science, taste physiology, um, brain science, and, uh, and also cooking science. Mm. So I gradually getting knowledge about umami and uh, I organize many symposium and also international symposium. So I visited many countries to talk about umami with researchers in different countries. So this is a basement of uh, my uh, current job because I have a very wide network with researchers and uh, mm. I know umami in different research area. So uh, I am very happy to talk about umami. Mm. And uh, 1989, my job was changed to have a communication, not a research mm. area. I moved to a department of global communication. And my mission was to disseminate umami around the world. So uh, mm. before that, 
I only talk with researchers, but after that, I have to talk with the chefs and the dietitians, journalists, and many other people to let them know about the mommy. So I love this uh, communication work. And uh, my first presentation on umami was in the International Congress of American Chemical Societies. And uh, that was only 20 minutes, but it was very hard for me to present on umami in English, but uh, that's a good memory and a good experience. And uh, I have been working for Umami for almost 40 years. Mm. Wow, <laughs> amazing. Longer than either of us have been alive. Yeah. <laughs> Why, I'm curious though, what is it about Umami that makes you so interested in, in it? Was there a reason why this has been such a big area of your research and why it's something you're so passionate about? Uh, you know that the many people uh, have a negative information about MSG, but MSG is the purest form of umami taste, very pure mm. umami taste. You know that sugar is the purest form of sweet taste, and salt mm. is the purest form of salty taste, mm. and MSG is the purest form of umami taste. Uh, but people doesn't know well about what MSG is. So to talk about the MSG safety, we need the research on umami taste and what mm. is umami. That's why yeah. our company uh, try to promote research activities and disseminate umami concept to the world. Mm. And I was involved in the project. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Understand. Yeah. And I guess like we're sure many of our listeners at home have heard or read about and obviously tasted umami itself. And I think recently because food media has become so popular and everyone's everyone's essentially a foodie nowadays, uh, they'd be super interested to know, would you be able to give us a more scientific explanation about what umami is and the history of its discovery? Yeah. Umami is a taste imparted by glutamate. Glutamate is one of amino acids. Uh, you know, amino acids are building blocks of protein and uh, glutamate is the most abundant amino acid in the nature. And uh, free glutamate is very important to give umami taste for us. And uh, glutamate is in tomato, cheese, and many other kind of uh, vegetables, meat, fish, and fermented foods uh, like cheese, miso, or uh, soy sauce. So it's very popular taste, but the taste quality is quite ambiguous and subtle taste. Mm. And the taste is usually overshadowed by other strong tastes like sweet, sour, salty taste. That's why it's very uh, difficult to understand what umami is. But uh, mm. when you eat cheese, you have long lasting taste after eating cheese. Maybe the sensation is just like your tongue is covered by something. You have something on your tongue after eating cheese. That's umami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's such a, I, I think I watch a lot of food programming and everyone tries to describe it in a different way. 
some people say it's like this kind of earthiness. Um, I think maybe that gets attributed to like mushrooms. Uh, and then other people say it's, you know, it's bigger than taste. It's not like it's, it's like a sensation almost. It's the thing that keeps you coming back for more almost um, when you eat something. That's why I feel like Asian food is so delicious, right? Because Asian cuisine really knows how to leverage umami through a lot of fermentation, mm-hmm. whether it's the soy sauce, whether it's miso um, and all those sort of products. When exactly was umami discovered? Uh, umami was first discovered by Japanese scientist Kikunae Ikeda in 1908, mm. more than wow. 100 years ago. Wow. And uh, he studied chemistry in Germany for two years. And at that time, he first ate tomato, cheese, asparagus, and meat. So mm-hmm. at that time, people believed that there were only four basic tastes, sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. But he found one more common taste in many kinds of foods. It's very subtle and ambiguous and soft taste. And he was thinking about uh, what, what is this taste? What kind of chemical compound impart this taste? And after coming back to Japan, he try to taste the Japanese soup stock, uh, dashi, which is called dashi. And the mm. dashi is uh, made from dried seaweed kombu. And mm. uh, the dried seaweed kombu is very, very rich in glutamate. And he tried to find out what the, what the taste component about umami taste. And he finally found that the uh, one of amino acid glutamate is the key component to impart umami taste. Mm, and that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I think often um, when Jeff and I have talked about food, it's always been in the context of how it intersects with culture and how you know it's portrayed and how we think and understand and read about food. But it's so interesting to delve into the science behind food, especially umami, and it has such a rich and fascinating history because, you know, it's a discovery, right? And that's something that we don't find often these days. So it's really interesting to see and to hear from you about the history of this. But I'm curious, though, what are some of your favourite facts about umami and what umami-rich food is your favourite? My favourite umami-rich food is uh, mm, cheese, Mm. Uh, (laughs) aged cheese, parmesan Mm. cheese. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah pizza pizza, pizza. is very rich in umami <laughs> because uh the cheese and tomato mm. mushrooms and uh, pepperoni uh, everything is very rich in umami taste mm. mm-hmm. and then are there any particular facts about umami that you like or interesting facts that you know people might not know about umami mm. uh so the glutamate is a key taste component of umami, but uh, there, there are other two chemical substances which impart umami. Uh, one is mm. inosinate, the other one is guanylate. And inosinate is rich in animal-based food like meat and fish. And mm. guanylate mm. is rich in uh, dried mushrooms. Any kind of dried mm. mushrooms are very uh, strong umami taste because of guanylate. And the uh, mm. more important thing is that combination of glutamate and inosinate 
or glutamate and guanylate makes strong umami taste. The umami taste intensity is seven or eight times higher, stronger than single glutamate. So this mm -hmm. is a synergistic effect. So uh, mm. you can have a strong umami taste by the combination of tomato and meat or vegetables and fish and uh, uh, vegetables and dried mushrooms make mm. strong umami taste. Mm. Mm. And mm. also for someone who, let's say you're eating something, like how, how would you recommend go about trying to discern umami because obviously it's so subtle like have you been able to train yourself over the years to pick out umami quite easily and if so like do you have any recommendation how we can do that because as you said you know often I think umami is overpowered by the other flavors sweet bitterness saltiness yeah, are there particular ways or shortcuts that we can kind of access that umami rich flavor because obviously it can be quite subtle I think that uh, the most important thing is to understand umami by yourself and mm. try to find out uh, what umami is in your mouth. So I often give a lecture on umami uh, to the people who don't know about umami and I usually have a tasting session mm. and I use a small uh, piece of dried tomato and ask people to chew this small tomato 20 to 30 times in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Chew well the, the small tomato and try to find any kind of taste in tomato. And people yeah. say, uh, first I, I found sour taste, sweet taste, and a little bit bitterness or salty mm -hmm. taste. And after eating tomato, do you have something on your tongue? You have some sensation on your tongue? Then the people usually say, yes, yes. But what is this? That's umami. That is umami. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know, I know that exact feeling because when you eat a lot of Asian foods, it, it really does almost coat your, your tongue and your palate. And it's this... I, I oftentimes think of it like a savoriness where mm -hmm. it just, when you eat something, it's so addicting that you just, you, you want to go back for more because yes, it's like salty and it's a bit sweet. Like you think about a tomato that just has like salt on it, but there is something more that keeps you wanting to just keep yeah. eating. And that that's yeah. what I often think about. And, you know, my mom, when she like makes soups and stuff, she always adds like dried shiitake mushrooms, mm. um, other stuff, and it, just, it makes everything taste so much better. So honestly, God, God bless her, mommy. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> um, and you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier around your, I guess, your ambitions and why you're in this particular role. And a lot of that has to do with breaking a lot of the, the myths around MSG itself. And for a lot of people, MSG has been a very polarizing ingredient, right? There was, I think, mid late 60s, there was even a term that was coined Chinese restaurant syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all about like the negative impacts um, of MSG on the body. And, you know, despite that being debunked, there's still a lot of stigma around MSG. So why do you think that's still the case? And like, how do we actually go about 
destigmatizing industry? Mm, actually, in 1990s, there are so many uh, consumer groups are very actively uh, complained about the safety of MSG, especially in the United States and Australia. And uh, mm. they say MSG is bad for health, but the people working in the consumer groups don't know about uh, what exactly MSG is. So MSG mm. is monosodium glutamate and sodium and glutamate both are rich in many natural food ingredients. But they say this is a chemical. This, is a, this kind of chemical is not in natural food. That's wrong. Mm. So uh, I think that we still need education about MSG and umami. So I think that people first understand what umami is, and then people automatically understand what MSG is. So umami mm -hmm. is very important taste to make up the taste of goose, and uh, umami is a very uh, bottom part of the deliciousness. Mm -hmm. It's not a strong taste, but it's very important. And uh, umami is a very familiar taste for us, and uh, people understand what umami is, and then gradually understand what MSG is. But I think that many types of cuisine outside of Japan, it's quite different from Japanese cuisine uh, because we use very simple umami solution as a soup stock. Mm. Our soup stock is called dashi and the dashi is a very pure umami solution. But in case of soup stocks in other countries, people uh, cook vegetables and meat or vegetables and fish for a long time to extract many taste components from fish, meat, and vegetables. And uh, in the soup stock, there are many uh, different types of amino acids and uh, sugar compound or sourness. And the taste of the uh, soup stock is very, very complex compared to Japanese soup stock. Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, Japanese people understand what umami is. Umami is in dashi, and dashi is very important material for cooking variety of Japanese cuisine. So how to use umami, how to use dashi is very important part of Japanese people. Mm, but amazing. in case of the uh, soup stocks, normal soup stocks, it's complicated taste, including umami. So people mm. don't don't need to add umami to the soup stock because it's already in the soup stock. Mm. So this is a mm. very big difference between Japanese cuisine and other countries' cuisine. So uh, mm. it's very difficult to understand the function of MSG and umami taste for uh, people outside of Japan. Mm. To that point, uh, there's a TV show called uh, Ugly Delicious. And one of my favorite scenes from that is they bring together a group of people just off the street and they ask them questions around like, what are your thoughts on MSG? Uh, and a lot of them are like, oh, it's really bad for you. Uh, I've heard that, you know, it makes you sick. And some of the older people who might've been around during the, the, the term and the popularity of Chinese 
uh, restaurant syndrome were saying that, you know, it gives me a headache when I eat Chinese food. Like sometimes even when I walk past the restaurant, like I can feel it. And then suddenly they stop the research. They give everyone potato chips and get them to start eating it. And they're like, oh, what's your favorite flavor? And then the researcher goes, turn to the back, look at the ingredients. Do you see MSG? And they're all like, uh, so, so much of it is an education piece. Part of it is, I would probably say there's a racism element to it. And I guess the association of a lot of Asian food, specifically Chinese foods to MSG. So I, I completely agree. There still needs to be a lot of education around it. And I think chefs being really open now mm-hmm. about the usage of MSG has, you know, really shone a light on it that it is a naturally occurring ingredient. It's just been synthesized, yeah. as you said, to be like the purest form um umami so i feel like it's all headed in the right direction you know yeah and uh, the when people use msg just a pinch of msg is just a little enough. bit just a bit yes yes <laughs> i was going to say as well i mean i'm a bit curious just to um backtrack a little bit you said that during the 90s there were a lot of consumer groups who would be advocating against msg particularly in the united states and australia do you know why this was the case? Like what drove this advocacy against MSG in particular? Mm, uh, there may be in the, the Asian countries, Southeast Asian countries, uh, they have a program about uh, infant formula, safety issue of infant formula. So, mm. uh, and, uh, uh, and then the consumer groups in the Southeast Asian countries attack the big company who sell the infant formula in those countries. And right. then yeah. they started trying to find big company who brought uh, the chemical substances to, to the Southeast Asian countries. And they attacked Ajinomoto company because Ajinomoto was selling MSG in many countries. And uh, it, it sounds very chemical. I don't mm. know why the, the product's name is Ajinomoto, but the people usually say MSG, monosodium mm-hmm. glutamate. So uh, mm. if we use salt, we don't call it sodium chloride. <laughs> or it's salt. <laughs> but I don't know why many people say MSG or monosodium glutamate. Uh, that's uh, that's a chemical name. So that's why uh, the consumer groups attack a genome company. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, our company tried to not to talk about MSG and just focus on umami mm-hmm. to eliminate yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And just to look ahead a little bit, um, obviously umami is so rich and it's incredible to see the work that you're doing. But I'm quite curious, in your opinion, do you think that there are other basic tastes in our food or even drink that we have yet to discover? Is there another sense hmm. like umami? Is there another taste like umami? <laughs> uh, uh, recently, many researchers are trying to find out the sixth basic taste. And uh, one of the candidates is the taste of uh, fat or mm. oil. 
Forty days. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we need more and more research to confirm if uh, there is a fatty taste and uh, is is that a uh, basic taste or not. We need more research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, I, I was reading about this when I was looking up. You know, are there any other tastes? And I think a lot of the research is around why things with more fat tend to taste better. And I, I think it's something around how fat carries flavor on your palate, like on your tongue. This, this could be a stupid question, but what actually qualifies something to be a basic taste? Is it that we have mm. receptors in our tongue that can yes. perceive that flavor or is it something else? Hmm. Uh, so this the condition is that there is a, a taste receptor on your tongue, and uh, there is a specific knob to send the signal from tongue to brain. Oh, okay. And the brain uh, recognizes the taste uh, different from other tastes. Mm. Mm. Why is spice, like spicy, not a taste? Uh, spicy mm. uh, is not a taste. Uh, it's a kind of irritation. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, and uh, the the spicy spiciness information is transferred from mouth to brain through mm. trigeminal oh. nerve, not taste nerves. Oh. Oh. Okay. So interesting. Yeah, because wow. I like I remember when we were in primary school and we were studying like biology. It's different parts of your tongue taste different flavors. There's like a bit up the front, the side, and then at the back, and then spice is just everywhere. So it does make sense that um, it's more of an irritation than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I guess you know this has been an awesome awesome conversation we really really enjoyed this one so thank you so much Kamiko I think the last one before we get you out of here is just um what you're up to next uh do you have any exciting projects that you want to share are you going on any tours are you coming down to Australia but potentially we could come uh watch one of your symposiums but yeah what's next for you uh <laughs> At this moment, I have no plan to go abroad, um, but uh, I would like to visit your country and also many countries. And actually, I visited uh, Spain in early June this year mm. to participate in oh. the International Congress of Cured Hand. It's very interesting. <laughs> Only focus on cured ham. And I talk about uh, uh, umami and glutamate in cured ham and the increase of glutamate during the uh, aging of cured ham. Mm, that oh, very, amazing. Yeah. Hamon is I'm, very delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm currently in Paris at the moment, Kamiko. So I think when I have my lunch later, I'm going to be eating cheese and thinking about umami and thinking about the work that you're doing. So, <laughs> so honestly, thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute delight. I think I've learned so much and it's so nice to learn something about science again and especially about umami, which is something that we all have been exposed to and enjoy. So thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute honour and 
we yeah, have been delighted to have you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kamiko. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode at home, uh, make sure you check out the Umami Information Center and give us five stars wherever you get your podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.